Will Valve release Half-Life 3 and give fans the long-deserved follow-up to one of the biggest gaming cliffhangers of all time? Nope. But Epistle 3 is the next best thing, and it's story time at Cheerful Ghost Radio. Cheerful Ghost Radio is a podcast from the Cheerful Ghost community about interesting stuff in gaming and other various bits of nerdery. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cheerful Ghost Radio. Um, We like to start things off by talking a little bit about what we've been playing and what we're watching, and it's oftentimes a lot of watching. So Travis, what have you been watching? What are you playing? I haven't been playing a lot. Um, still hitting Diablo three. Um, kind of deep into the season. Um, kind of more of a an immortal badass than I thought I would ever be in that game. It, it, it gets insane once you start getting like in crazy loot. But still enjoying that. Um, as for what I've been watching, and uh, I talked about this last show. Um, and I'm kind of sorry that Script isn't with us today because he asked about the leftovers and if he said that he would check it out if I recommended it, I told him I couldn't recommend it yet. I can absolutely recommend it now. It might be one of my top five series of all time. I freaking love this show. I, I don't think it's a show for everybody, but it was just beautiful. Um, it's got kind of a mystery that kind of goes through the whole series. You never bit of a spoiler you never get like a full reason as to why all this stuff is happening but that's kind of not the point it's more about how people deal with tragedy and all the weird stuff that happens to them absolutely cool, love actually. it actually love I mean, there's it. still a little bit of mystery but it doesn't give everything away which is kind of interesting yeah yeah exactly yeah that's great that's great uh what about you white boy slim what you've been playing and what are you watching Oh, I've been pretty, uh, pretty deep into my Divinity Original Sin playthrough. You know, just as number two is coming out, uh, finally working my way through the first one. Um, I've been playing it co-op with a friend, so we're playing it. You know, whenever we both have an evening off, but it's been uh, a lot of fun. That is a seriously, seriously fun game. Highly recommend it to anybody who has not tried it. Um, you know, especially because the sequel just came out, and I will definitely be picking that up once I'm done with the first one. Uh, as for watching, uh, we're, me and the wife are going through Doctor Who. Uh, we started over earlier this year, and we're just uh, about to wrap up season 7, I think is what we're on now. Uh, we've also been watching Orphan Black, which somehow was not on my radar for a long time until just recently, but it is so good, so amazing. I cannot praise the the lead actress enough she does such an amazing job playing a ridiculous number of characters right yeah i love that yeah show. yeah i've heard really good things about it so what do you think about the um announcement of the new doctor tim uh i'm fine with it i, I look forward to it yeah me too yeah but guys it's a woman 
right? Yeah, there is actually precedent for that in the Doctor Who mythos. Um, but hold, hold on, guys. I don't think you're yeah. angry enough. Did you not hear what I said? <laughs> it's going to be a woman, though. According to the internet, um, that's not Yeah, the, the, the Doctor is going to have lady bits this this time around. Still not a ginger, though. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think the freak out was kind of funny if it wasn't sad kind of thing <laughs> yeah i think that the internet's always gonna be freaking out over dumb shit like that at I least mean, it's at so least a weird. certain subset of the internet is always gonna freak out over something right. like that i really can't tell if it's trolls or if they're serious and then they just didn't realize what year we live in. <laughs> I uh, I would like to see a Venn diagram of the people that were angry about a female Doctor Who and the people that were angry about a Black Stormtrooper because I imagine there's a lot of overlap in those two circles there. You might be onto something. <laughs> any of those people were actually angry about a Black Stormtrooper as much as a Black lead character in Star yeah. Wars, maybe. I don't think yeah. that they have problems with Black people getting shot by Rebels. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I'll talk a little bit about what I've been playing and watching. Um, so I've been playing. I got an NES Classic recently, and I've been playing the original Mario Brothers or Mario Bros. Actually, more accurately called, um, with people. And I really do think that this is an area kind of where the NES Classic shines, like playing with friends. So it's got a couple games you can play with friends on there. It's got Mario Bros, which you can have two people up screen at the same time. And I'm talking the old Mario Bros where you're like running around on screen, hitting hit, uh, hitting uh, the turtles and then knocking them over for coins and then hitting crabs and then hitting the pal block. And also another really great game on the next classic you can play with uh, a friend is Dr. Mario. That's really great. But... As far as the game that I've been playing the most has been Mega Man 2, and I recently beat it and wrote about that on Cheerful Ghost, and that was really fun. Boy, is that game hard. Wow, is it hard. But it's so much fun. Um, Mega Man 2 is kind of when I was, ex- what I was sort of the first experience for Mega Man for me, and the Mega Man game that I played the most was when I went over to White Boy Slim's house to play Mega Man 3, because he had that one. Um, and that game's great because it added like the Rush Jet and Rush as a character and the Rush Coil and oh man, Mega Proto Man Three, what? It introduced uh, Proto Man, right? And that was the one where Mega Man got a slide. So it's just a great game, Mega Man Three. But anyways, Mega Man Two has just been so much fun. So I'm playing those games. Um, so what I've been watching um, has been, uh, I've been kind of flying around for work recently, so I watched Lego Batman on a flight, as well as Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and John Wick 2, and those are all really good. Um, John Wick 2 was maybe not as good as the first one. Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was really fun. Man, I love Kurt Russell. I love him so much in movies. Um, he's in it. Don't really want to spoil it too much, but it's a fun, it's a fun movie. Lego Batman, really, really good. So more interestingly, though, um, I saw two movies that I got in a special Stranger Thing pack. I don't, not Stranger Things, because that's a copyrighted TV show. A Stranger Thing pack, and it had like ten just of the worst, campiest movies ever. Um, and I'm actually going to take the worst tag out because they've been actually really fun. So the first one I watched was My Mother's a Werewolf. Okay, let me talk a little bit about My Mother's a Werewolf. So this movie is basically like 
if you took Teen Wolf and mixed it in with a John Hughes movie like Sixteen Candles or something like that, um, it's I think it's meant to be kind of a campy comedy, and it totally works in that way. Basically, the idea is there's this lady who's in a relationship that she doesn't really like too much. She's married to this guy, doesn't really pay attention to her, so she meets this like sort of exotic man who's a werewolf uh and then he bites her on the toe in this weird scene that i don't really want to explain and um she becomes a werewolf and it's really funny because the movie like there like there's this one scene where she like rolls up um in a car as a werewolf just howling and stuff and there are these old people that come into the car next to her and they look and she and and the old people just are like wow there's so many werewolves in the world today or something. It's just the weirdest scene where, like, some people just get she's a werewolf because she has fun or something. It's just weird. Anyways, so that sort of ends as the way you would expect, um, a mother, you know, that kind of movie to end, which is to say terribly and amazingly all at the same time. Um, then the, the next movie I saw from that pack was called The Hearse. Uh, this wasn't funny at all it's not even scary although it tries to be it's some sort of like horror movie and basically the premise of the hearse is there's a woman uh i guess there's main characters are all women in 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 all the movies i've seen so far but um who recently has a divorce and she had got a divorce and she had like a mental episode as part of that i guess it was really stressful on her by the way this is an old 70s movie i think or 80s or something anyway so she also inherits uh, a house from her aunt and she goes to live there just to kind of go off the grid a little bit and just kind of find herself and as part of that she finds out that her aunt had a boyfriend and they worshipped Satan and um yes I know I know it was (laughs) thank you it was it's it even it even gets better so the whole town hates her and calls her a witch and she meets this dude and um she really likes him and finds out that that when her aunt and this dude worship Satan, they li- they um, could live forever. Except her aunt realized didn't she didn't actually want to worship Satan. Apparently, that's not so much fun. So she died just mysteriously, and this dude lived on, and he's worshiping Satan, and he's like, "Look, we need to become a Satan worshiping couple together." And um, well, as one does, yeah, as one does, and uh, it ends really amazingly. I don't really want to spoil it, but um, does she become a Satan? To become a Satan worshiping couple? Do they not? I don't know. You'd have to watch the hearse to find out. But um, both movies are incredible. Um, both I would really recommend. The next movie I've got um, slated to watch next is Alien Contamination. That looks uh, equally as bad as all the other movies. So I, I'm a real huge fan of like crappy movies, and so I love to watch them at like mystery science theater 3000 riffs them or you know no one's riffing them at all so that's been really fun uh to to watch those so that's kind of what i've been playing and what i've been watching so everybody hold on tight for the next thing we're going to be talking about which is the nintendo switch um okay so the nintendo switch is um sort of Nintendo's newest console, and some people have noted that it's going to have all the new Nintendo games, but it's not going to, uh, but one of the common criticisms for the Switch, like any Nintendo consoles, it doesn't have a lot of third-party titles. Well, we just found out recently that the Nintendo Switch is actually going to get Doom 2016 and Wolfenstein 2. 
which is pretty, which is going to be, or Wolfenstein, yeah, Wolfenstein 2, um, the new Colossus, which to this date, Nintendo hasn't really gotten a Bethesda game or an id game or anything like that. So I'm just curious. Oh, it's also getting Skyrim too. Um, it's going to ship a little bit later. So I just want to talk a little bit about that. Um, is Nintendo Switch becoming the console we've always wanted? Um, it's also getting other games like Procto Project Octopath Traveler and just about in all the indie games you could play. So I'm just curious what everyone thinks. Uh, Travis, what do you think of this Nintendo Switch news? Is it becoming the Nintendo console we've always wanted? It's definitely kind of what I was hoping would happen with the Switch because since, what, I guess the GameCube was the last one that had a lot of like big third-party support for, for the major games anyway. Uh, the Wii had a ton of games that other consoles didn't have, but it was kind of all shovelware. But, you know, a big publisher like Bethesda getting in with these like badass games, it's, it's a good thing for the Switch. I'm, I don't know if it's the console we've always wanted, but... The if, Nintendo console we've always yeah, wanted. Yeah, yeah. I think it's that it's going to uh, be like the perfect console. No, 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 of course. Play, but. but yeah, something that you can play a lot of third-party games on as well as having the Mario's and the Zelda's of the world. That's a that's a great entry into Nintendo's catalog right now. But I think especially after the Wii U, they needed something like this. Yeah, I totally agree. Um White Boy Slim, what do you think? Well, I, I don't know if I'm quite like on board enough to say that I'm going to pick one up anytime soon. It's certainly looking a lot more promising. Um, and I guess there's still another you know couple months until Christmas to see if it's something I want to try and get during the holidays. But um, yeah, I am, I am cautiously optimistic that we're going to get the third-party support that we're hoping for. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm still a little on the fence, but optimistic. Yeah, I think that op, you know, I think that sort of you know, um, cautious optimism is warranted. I don't think that you know, jumping into something necessarily quickly, expecting it all to turn out amazing, is is a really great is a really great strategy all the time. But I think in this instance with Nintendo, I think what they're proving is with the Switch is they're selling enough units of it um, by a lot. In fact, it's actually really really popular with gamers. So I think that that's becoming more obvious to third-party developers. And I think we're getting to a point now with games and just the raw processing power of things that, you know, you can port it to whatever, pretty much whatever, right? And if you look at all the games that they're getting, the Switch is getting, these are all games that are coming out on PC too, right? Which which, Which basically means that, like, you know, I mean... If you didn't have a PC or a powerful one enough, but you wanted to play all these games, maybe you could play them on the Switch. I don't... I think that probably all the gamers, like, in that Venn diagram kind of already have PCs, but, you know, for the Nintendo want people that had a Switch but didn't have any of that other stuff and have a PlayStation 4, and they kind of wanted to play a Doom, they're going to be able to do it. Is it going to, like, get me on board for the console? No, I don't think so, because, again, like, I've got a PC and I can play all these games. But, again... Um, I think it's good for Nintendo and I think it's good for publishers to just push all their stuff wherever they can. Um, yeah, and you know, who knows, maybe I'll pick Doom, you know, you know, 20 bucks used at a store. And I think that's what's really cool about this too, which is it also makes it so that, you know, there's more like 
collectible stuff for video gamers to have and you know later resell and as someone who's like collects stuff and is into retro stuff i'm looking at the things that we're selling now potentially like 20 years out and getting doom on the switch like that's gonna be an interesting collecting point i think so um that's really kind of neat and, and and like you all actually I'm, I'm actually gonna get a switch like i'm planning on getting it like i don't know when it's not gonna be this year but um, I am going to pick one up, and I really like that the library of games is getting so much larger now, um, because it's probably the only console I'm going to buy, besides all the other Nintendo consoles that they keep releasing, re-releasing, right? You know, the NES Classic, SNES Classic, and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm really stoked about this. I think it's really good. I think it's going to get even better for the Switch when... Um, they get game. Well, they're already getting NBA 2K18, which is really great. You need all those sports games, and then when they get the EA sports games, and if they start getting other games like Dishonored, so I think that should be really fun too. So Bethesda's in. I mean, that's that's a lot of content for the Switch for sure. So really excited about that. So moving on to our next topic. Um, recently, um, former Valve writer Mark Laidlaw, who wrote who wrote the Amazing Half-Life series, or one of the writers on that, recently released what he calls Epistle 3, which basically um, he calls fan fiction. I call it the um, official <laughs> Valve Half-Life 2 Episode 3 that we're never going to get. And if you look at it, I mean, if you look at kind of who's been leaving Valve recently, a ton of writers um, and sort of longtime Valve folks, and kind of realizing that Valve's probably not going to be releasing any more single-player games for a while, that this is probably the closest we're going to get to an actual official Half-Life 2 Episode 3. Um, and he sort of gender-swapped all the characters, and he called the fan fiction, you know, so it didn't sort of cross the copyright lines of, you know... But um, there's a version of the story that he released on GitHub that changes everything back, to the original characters, and I decided to read it because I don't think it's going to take too much long, too long to do that. And then we're going to talk a little bit about how this sort of wraps up Half Life and sort of what we think about it. So I'll start things off, dearest player. I hope this letter finds you well. I can hear your complaint already, Gordon Freeman. We have not heard from you in ages. Well, if you care to hear excuses, I have plenty. The greatest of them being, I've been in other dimensions and whatnot, unable to reach you by the usual means. This was the case until 18 months ago, when I experienced a critical change in my circumstances and was redeposited on these shores. In the time since, I have been able to think occasionally about how to best describe the intervening years, my years of silence. I do first apologize for the wait and that done. Hasten to finally explain, albeit briefly, quickly, and in very little detail, Events following those described in my previous letter, referred to herewith as Episode 2. To begin with, as you may recall from the closing paragraphs in my previous missive, the death of Eli Vance shook us all. The Resistance team was traumatized, unable to be sure how much of our plan might be compromised and whether it made any sense to go on at all as we had intended. And yet, once Eli had been buried, we found the strength and courage to regroup. It was the strong belief of his brave daughter, the feisty Alex Vance, that we should continue on as her father had wished. We had the Arctic coordinates transmitted by Eli's longtime assistant, Dr. Judith Mossman, which we believed to mark the location of the lost research vessel Borealis. 
Eli had felt strongly that the Borealis should be destroyed rather than allow it to fall into the hands of the Combine. Others on our team disagreed, believing that the Borealis might hold the secret to the revolution's success. Either way, the arguments were moot until we found the vessel. Therefore, immediately after the service for Dr. Vance, Alex and I boarded a helicopter and set off for the Arctic. A much larger support team, mainly militia, was to follow by separate transport. It is still unclear to me exactly what brought down our little aircraft. The following hours spent traversing the frigid waste in a blizzard or also a jumbled blur, ill-remembered and poorly defined. The next thing I clearly recall is our final approach to the coordinates Dr. Mossman had provided and where we expected to find the Borealis. What we found instead was a complex, fortified installation showing all the hard hallmarks of sinister combine technology. It surrounded a large open field of ice. Of the Boreas itself, there was no sign, or not at first, but as we stealthily infiltrated the combine installation, we noticed a recurrent, strangely coherent, oral effect as of a vast hologram fading in and out of view. This bizarre phenomenon initially seemed an effect caused by an immense combine lensing system. Alex and I soon realized that we were actually seeing was the research vessel Borealis itself phasing in and out of existence at the focus of the combine devices. The aliens had erected their compound to study and seize the ship whenever it materialized. What Dr. Mossman had provided were not coordinates for where the sub was located, but instead for where it was predicted to arrive. The vessel was oscillating in and out of our reality. Its pulses were gradually steadying, but there was no guarantee it would settle into place for long or at all. We determined that we must put ourselves into position to board it at the instant it became completely physical. At this point, we were briefly detained, not by the Combine, as we feared at first, but by minions of our former nemesis, the conniving and duplicitous Wallace Breen. Dr. Breen was not as we had last seen him, which is to say, he was not dead. At some point, the Combine had saved out an earlier version of his consciousness, and upon his physical demise, they had imprinted the backup personality into a biological blank resembling an enormous slug. The Breen grub, despite occupying a position of relative power in the Combine hierarchy, seemed nervous and frightened of me in particular. Wallace did not know how his previous incarnation, the original Dr. Breen, had died. He knew only that I was responsible. Therefore, the slug treated us with great caution. Still, he soon confessed, never able to keep quiet for long, that he was himself a prisoner of the Combine. He took no pleasure from his current grotesque existence and pleaded with us for, for pleaded with us to end his life. Alex believed that a quick death was more than Wallace Breen deserved, but for my part I felt a modicum of pity and compassion. Out of Alex's sight, I might have done something to hasten the slug's demise before we proceeded. Not far from where he had been, where we had been detained by Dr. Breen, we found Dr. Judith Mossman being held in a combine interrogation cell. Things were tense between Judith and Alex, as might be imagined. Alex blamed Judith for her father's death, news of which Judith was devastated to hear for the first time. Judith tried to convince Alex that she had been a double agent, serving the resistance all along, doing only what Eli had asked of her, even though she knew it meant she risked being seen by her peers, by all of us, as a traitor. I was convinced, Alex less so. But from a pragmatic point of view, we depended on Dr. Mossman, for along with the Borealis coordinates she possessed 
resonance keys which would be necessary to bring the vessel fully into our plane of existence. We skirmished with the Combine soldiers, protecting a Combine research post. Then Dr. Mossman attuned to the Borealis to precisely the frequencies needed to bring it into brief coherence. In the short time available to us, we scrambled aboard the ship with an unknown number of Combine agents close behind. The ship cohered for only a short time, and then its oscillations resume. It was too late for our own military support, which arrived and joined the Combine forces in battle just as we rebounded between universes, once again unmoored. What happened next is even hard to explain. Alex Vance, Dr. Mossman, and myself sought control of the ship, its power source, its control room, its navigation center. The ship's history proved non-linear. Years before, during the Combine invasion, various members of an earlier science team working in the hull of a dry-docked vessel situated <clears throat> at the Aperture Science Research Facility in Michigan had assembled what they called the bootstrap device. If it worked as intended, it would emit a field large enough to surround the ship. This field would then itself travel instantaneously to any chosen destination without having to cover the intervening space. There was no need for entry or exit portals or any other devices. It was entirely self-contained. Unfortunately, the device had never been tested. As the Combine pushed Earth into the seven-hour war, the alien seized control over most important research facilities. The staff of the Borealis, with no other wish than to keep the ship out of Comboid hands, acted in desperation. They switched on the field and flung the Borealis toward the most distant destination they could target, Antarctica. What they did not realize was that the bootstrap device traveled in time as well as space, nor was it limited to one time or one location. The Borealis and the, at the moment, and the moments of its activation were stretched across space and time between the nearly forgotten Lake Huron of the Seven Hour War and the present day Arctic. It was pulled taunt as an elastic band, vibrating, except where at certain points along its length one could find still points like the harmonic spots along a vibrating guitar string. One of these harmonics was where we boarded, but the string ran forward and back in both time and space, and we were soon pulled in every direction ourselves. Time grew confused. Looking from the bridge, we could see the dry docks of Aperture Science, the moment of teleportation, just as the Comboine forces closed in from land, sea, and air. At the same time, we could see the Arctic wastelands, where our friends were fighting to make their way to the Protean Borealis, in addition, glimpses of other worlds, somewhere in the future, perhaps, or even the past? Alex grew convinced we were seeing one of the Combine's central staging areas for invading other worlds, such as our own. We, meanwhile, fought a running battle throughout the ship, pursued by Combine forces. We struggled to understand our situation and to agree on our course of action. Could we alter the course of the Borealis? Should we run it aground in the Arctic, giving our peers the chance to study it? Should we destroy it with all hands aboard, our own included? It was impossible to hold a coherent thought, given the baffling and paradoxical time loops which passed through the ship like bubbles. I felt I was going mad, that we all were, confronting myriad versions of ourselves, and that ship was a half-ghost ship, half-nightmare funhouse. What it came down to at last was a choice. Judith Mossman argued reasonably that we should save the Borealis and deliver it to the Resistance, that our intelligent peers might study and harness its power. But Alex reminded me, had sworn she would honor her father's demand that we destroy the ship. She hatched a plan to set the Borealis to self-destruct while riding it into the heart of the Combine's invasion nexus. Judith and, Alice argue, Judith and Alex argued. Judith overpowered Alex and brought the Borealis 
and brought the Borealis area, preparing to shut off the bootstrap device and sell the ship on the ice. Then I heard a shot, and Judith fell. Alex had decided for all of us, or her weapon had. With Dr. Mossman dead, we were committed to the suicide plunge. Grimly, Alex and I armed the Borealis, creating a time-traveling missile, and steered it for the heart of the Combine's command center. At this point, as you will no doubt be surprised to hear, a certain sinister figure appeared in the form of that sneering trickster, G-Man. For once he appeared not to me, but to Alex Vance. Alex had not seen the cryptical schoolmaster since childhood, but she recognized him instantly. Come along with me now. We've places to be and things to do, said G-Man, and Alex acquiesced. She followed the strange gray man out of the Borealis, out of our reality. For me, there was no convenient door held open, only a snicker and a sideways glance. I was left alone, riding the weaponized research vessel into the heart of a combine world. An immense light blazed. I caught a cosmic view of a brilliantly glittering Dyson Sphere. The vastness of the combine's power, the futility of our struggle, blossomed briefly in my awareness. I saw everything. Mainly, I saw how the Borealis, our most powerful weapon, would register as less than a fizzling matchhead as it blew itself apart. And what remained of me would be even less than that. Just then, as you have surely already foreseen, the Vortigaunts parted their own checkered curtains of reality, reached in as they have on prior occasions, plucked me out and set me aside. I barely got to see the fireworks begin. And here we are. I spoke of my return to the shore. It's been a circuitous path to lands I once knew, and surprising to see how much the terrain has changed. Enough time has passed that few remember me or what I was saying when I last spoke, or what precisely we had hoped to accomplish. At this point, the resistance will have failed or succeeded. No thanks to me. Old friends have been silenced or fallen by the wayside. I no longer know or recognize most members of the research team, though I believe the spirit of the rebellion still persists. I expect you know better than I the appropriate course of action, and I leave you to it. Expect no further correspondence from me regarding these matters. This is my final episode. Yours in infinite finality, Gordon Freeman. PhD. Okay, so that's uh, Mark Laidlaw's story. Um, and so what do we think about that story? Um, I didn't read it off very well, so sorry about that. There's a couple of pauses there. But um, start off with Travis. Travis, what do you think about Epistle 3? I like it. I think it's um, it, it's kind of like uh, like somebody. Well, it's it is exactly or somebody recounting the events of something that happened. It's not the full story. It's just kind of a a glimpse into one side of it, and it's uh, it's enough. It's for like me. the highlights or a yeah. short story, like yeah. a really. Gr- I I see it as like a really interesting or great sci-fi short story. Yeah, and I I, I like it for the closure. Um, I hated the way that episode two. Ended on a cliffhanger. Spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't played Half Life Two Episode Two, but um, I, I do like the the closure we got from it. I just want some more now. Honestly, I, I hope that he keeps writing these occasionally, but he might get into some legal trouble with Valve if he does. I think the ending proves that he won't. Yeah, and yeah. it's and it's because I think that's his saying. Look, I'm I'm done. I'm not coming back to Half Life, and and it's interesting because I sort of see that ending as a veiled nod at what Valve is now, mm-hmm. or that he's going to have no part, like he can't affect it. 
you know what I mean? And it's like, it's kind of a challenge maybe to Valve in a way, like, are you going to end this? Are you not going to? Like, you know what I mean? I've heard fans are going to make this game, you know? So that'd be interesting, but it wouldn't be what Valve did, you know? So... I don't know. I kind of don't think this is ever going to get made, actually. I don't either. I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> so are you saying that Valve is the Combine and their vast <laughs> infinite wealth is uh, the Dyson Sphere that the Borealis is just a minor little blip on? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I, I don't think that he has an analog to everything, um, <laughs> you know, in that story. I, I think that's all kind of the, the story is he sort of was thinking about it, but no, I mean, I think Valve is a huge company now that realizes that more people are going to play and enjoy a game like the Dota 2 card game than are going to play Half-Life 3. And I know that sounds nuts to say that, because Half-Life 3 would be one of the biggest games around, but, but in terms of money and selling hats and cards and this kind of thing like it seems like the dota 2 card game and like games like dota 2 are exactly what valve is making now which is to say free to play games that can be played by millions and millions and millions and millions of players a day you know um half-life 3 probably wouldn't be that game for them you know and plus since valve obviously can't count to three (laughs) they'd never release it anyway it's really true. I used to think there was going to be a Left 4 Dead 3, but I really don't... I don't know about that anymore. Or a Portal 3, or... <laughs> King Fortress 3. Yeah, you know... <laughs> one thing I actually liked about Epistle 3, too, is how he how, how he, he did more... He, like, had, like, a veiled, like, nod to the Portal gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's all that kind of stuff in there, which I think is really great. And they really were tying both of the stories together. Like, in Portal 2, spoiler alert, but... You can go behind a door somewhere and find where the Borealis was docked and you get a trophy for finding where the Borealis left its dock from. And so even in Portal 2, they were building these nods into Half-Life 3. You know what I mean? They were tying them together, the Portal-verse with the Half-Life-verse. So it's more of a bummer to me because, again, Portal 2 showed me that Valve can write some of the best single-player game experiences ever. And Portal 2 is probably one of the best video games I've ever played. Oh, yeah. Story-wise and everything. It's not like they don't have the ability to do it. So, anyways, what did you think? White Boy Slim, what did you think about Epistle 3? Um, I mean, I enjoyed it from a story aspect. I I will confess to being one of those few people that have not uh, finished Half-Life 2. Burn the I'm, Witch. I'm only about halfway through the main game. I haven't started on any of the expansions or anything like that. So, um... Uh, I don't have quite the connection to the Half-Life universe that some people do, although I very much enjoyed the Portal games. So, you know, I, I would like to see the connections there because I do know that they, you know, they take place in the same world and they do kind of connect up. But, um, I mean, overall, I thought it was an interesting story and it really is a shame that it's not going to get finished. Yeah, least, I think that would have know, been a really fun a game, game to play. Yeah, I think that yeah. would have been a really great game to play. I can just imagine how they did Portal 2 and Half-Life and, oh man, just playing that gun battle on the Borealis, you know, and having Alex pulled away and then feeling so... Like, and as I was reading that, I was like, wow, that would have been the worst, you know, because Alex, you've been playing with her for so long and she gets pulled away and it's you. And you're going to die. <laughs> I just can't even imagine. 
those moments, it would have been great. Now, been do you know, if, do you remember if they had plans for Half-Life 2 Episode 3 and also Half-Life 3? Because I was when, when I was reading that, I was thinking if that was the, the story plan for Half-Life 2 Episode 3, and then they went on to make Half-Life 3, Alex might have been the protagonist of Half-Life 3. Yeah, so I think that this is Half-Life 2 Episode 3, what we just wrote, and right. people just always called it Half-Life 3 because it had been so long, and they just assumed that, of course, they're going to make a whole new engine, of course, for this game or whatever. Frankly, I don't care. If Valve releases Half-Life 2 Episode 3 using the Half-Life 2 engine, I don't care. No. <laughs> I would still play it. I think that would actually be really, really cool, um, which might have been one of the reasons why they why it didn't get launched because they had they felt like they maybe had to use a new engine and then it just kind of went into development hell after that or mm-hmm. something i don't know but but yeah no i don't know i mean half-life 3 with alex would have been great too i mean i imagine if valve did that that half-life 3 might have been featuring alex um but in what capacity i don't know yeah it's also interesting to to read in the story the futility of the story i i like um, sci-fi or fiction that kind of has an air of futility to it. It's like this amazingly sweeping story and then you find out that, you know, the Combine are actually way more powerful than you could possibly imagine, you know? And you can't beat them because they control, like, galaxies and galaxies. I like that ending a lot. It's not, it doesn't, it's not a lot. You know, you don't see that a lot now, but it's kind of like 70s Cool Hand Luke kind of ending to it you know what I mean which is we tried the best we could but there's no way we could have actually even done this at all so I wonder I wonder if that would have actually been in the game itself anyways um, so um, I think that's it unless anyone else had anything they wanted to say about half uh, Epistle 3 by Mark Laidlaw okay so I just wanted to thank everyone for listening to this episode of the Cheerful Ghost Roundtable. Uh, except it's not; it's the Cheerful Ghost Radio, and I'm never gonna, I'm never actually gonna say it right. So uh, start things off, Travis. Where can uh, find people? Mo- where can people find more of you online? You can find me at cheerfulghost.com/travis, and anything else that's important is listed on there. Awesome. Uh, what about you, White Boy? cheerfulghost.com slash whiteboyslim or on twitter at whiteboyslim and you can find me on twitter at jdodson and cheerfulghost.com slash jdodson alright thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the cheerful ghost radio Cheerful Ghost Radio is brought to you by CheerfulGhost.com, and our theme music is by Creo. Make sure you head over to Cheerful Ghost to let us know what you think of the show, and thanks for listening.